You're listening to the all-new Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hines. Now, I have a very, very special guest joining us again. It's been a long time. Well, she's done incredible work as part of the sentencing project that we're going to find all about and what they're up to these days. It is my true honor to bring back to the show for the very first time this year and for a while, Dr. Ganoush Naskal. Ganoush, welcome back. Thank you so much, Carrie. It's so great to be back with you. Yes, absolutely. Now, I have to... (laughs) I've got to first uh, go back to, like, the last time you were here. I mean, it's been years, Dr. Kanush. Um, But I've got to tell everybody, uh, we love having you here. There's so much that's going on. And when you've, uh, in the times that you've been on the show, you've helped to plant a seed and just kind of help the usher in community, uh, you know, staying on top of what's happening in our community, your your organization, I should say, is what has helped to uh, to foster that. So I just wanted to say thank you to all of the work you and your colleagues are doing at the Sentencing thank Project. You. Really appreciate yeah, that, absolutely. and I really appreciate your bringing our work onto your program and helping to in- increase public education about these issues. Absolutely, and that's kind of where I want to jump on in, uh, education on some of these issues. And particularly first, let's just start at the beginning. For folks who may not recall, there may be a few of them out there, not many, I'm sure. We have a lot of fans of the Hair Radio Morning Show, but can you just remind everybody what exactly is the Sentencing Project? Let's start there. Sure. We're a research and advocacy organization based in Washington, D.C., and we focus on the criminal legal system. Um, Our goal is to create a system that is more fair and effective, and that means reducing racial disparities in terms of who's impacted by incarceration and community supervision, um, addressing gender inequality, and making sure that incarceration is used as a last resort and for as limited amount of time as is necessary. And so we're trying to scale back the number of people that are incarcerated and tackle racial disparities. Those are our big goals. And we, we produce our own reports. We help to um, get people acquainted with academic research that's being done and research that's being produced by the government. And we also do a lot of advocacy work partnering with advocacy organizations at the state and local level as well as at the federal level to try to uh, translate the research that we're familiar with and producing into reform. Now, Dr. Ganoush, there seems to me in, I mean, uh, in recent times, especially since we last talked on air, and uh, it just, you know, I have to first get your opinion about things. Uh, when you, you see a lot of the dynamics that are going on politically and otherwise, I mean, it looked like we were kind of heading this direction when you were on the show, say, five years ago. But uh, is any of it a surprise to you? And then we're going to jump on into this report. But is any of this where we've landed a surprise to Dr. Ganoush? Hmm. Well, since I've spoken with you last, we've been going yes. through this pandemic. And and yes. I must say, my expectation going into the pandemic was that there would be a much more willingness on the part of policymakers to finally put into practice what we know, and especially given the fact that so many people are exposed to coronavirus behind bars and are an especially yes. vulnerable population, often in rural areas, 
So, you know, during this time, we've seen a reduction in the number of people in jails and prisons across the country, a bigger reduction than we've seen in other years, in particular because states and, um, and localities have been reluctant to send people behind bars. But what surprised me during this most recent period has been that that reduction hasn't been even more, you know, but, you know, the, there hasn't been Absolutely. an even more significant realization that so many of these people that we have incarcerated, and in particular, people that are serving very long sentences and that are older, that are especially at medical risk if they contract COVID, that have served substantial amount of time and are unlikely to be a public safety risk now because they're middle-aged or elderly. Right, I'm right. surprised and disappointed that more of those people didn't get released during the pandemic. Um, but I want to make sure that your your listeners know that right now, in some ways, you know, we've, we're seeing a continuation of the progress that has happened in terms of criminal justice reform. Things are not at their worst right now compared to when the prison population in the United States reached its peak level in 2009. So things are starting to climb down in terms of numbers and the overall impact of the criminal justice system. But that pace of progress has been much slower than we'd like to see. Well, what, what, let me ask you that. What, what do you attribute to that uh, decrease happening? Uh, you know, what do you think is the cause of that? Well, I think part of it has to do with the fact that between the 1990s, when crime rates reached their peak levels in the United States, and until right just before the beginning of the pandemic, crime rates fell dramatically in the United States. So like the homicide rate, for example, fell by 50% and other crimes as well. And so we reached a period of where, you know, levels of safety that we had not experienced before. And that's not to say that in certain communities, there's still an, un, there continued to be an unacceptably high level of crime that we needed right. to work and right. work and chip away at. So during the pandemic, that trend has started to, to shift where because of all the social dislocations that we've experienced and the economic struggles people are going through, some rates of crime, in particular homicides, have been going up during the pandemic. But so let me just go back to the earlier period. You know, up until the beginning of the pandemic, crime rates fell a lot. And I think that made a lot of people willing to realize that, wait, you know what? Crime rates have been falling in a lot of countries. And the United States is the only country that has dramatically increased incarceration rates. And so that created more of a willingness to realize actually, we don't need to incarcerate so many people in order to have safe communities. And then related to this, I think, is that mass incarceration is just so broad that it affected so many people. Um, you know, a couple years ago during the, I think it was the 2016 presidential contest, the Republican candidates would talk about their connection to um, substance use problems, um, you know, this was something very new, right? In the 1980s, we didn't hear from presidential candidates talking about that kind of personal Not connection. at all, exactly. Right? And, and so there's been more of a willingness to consider a public health approach, especially to substance use problems. Of course, that has been limited, uh, you know, in that we're not seriously reconsidering what to do with people selling drugs. We haven't really ended the drug war, but there's still more willingness to realize that if someone has a substance use problem, sending them to jail or prison is not the best solution for them. It's very harmful for them and their communities. So I think some Absolutely. of these factors, you know, in addition to that, 
faith groups and faith leaders being willing to step in and say, this is, you know, the mass incarceration that we're seeing in the United States is at odds with the principles of faith that we're advocating for. You know, even people like the Pope saying life without parole sentences are like another death sentence and we need to work at getting rid of it, getting rid of them. Um, so I think there have been a lot of different groups, a lot of, from different angles, beginning to get much more skeptical about mass incarceration and be willing to do what it takes to scale it back. Absolutely. Well, listen, the reason that uh, it was so important to get you here at this time, uh, when I saw this report come out, um, and it's called Parents in Prison, and it's by the folks there at the sentencingproject.org. And um, I just had, I had to reach out to you again and just to say, please, this is so critical. It really focuses on uh, women in incarceration, but it speaks to so many different areas that it touches. Um, you spoke about, you know, the impact of, of the family and so many other, you know, folks uh, because of incarceration. And that's kind of what I wanted to get into. Um, this, I, I've got to read this because this is just, beyond words it's a uh, half of the half of imprisoned people in the united states are parents of minor children who are under age 18 47 percent in state prisons and 57 percent in federal prisons and it it goes on to talk about uh imprisoned parents of minor children are fathers 626,800 fathers uh, compared to 57,700 mothers. Um, but a, let me just, I guess I should finish this one out. But a higher proportion of imprisoned women, 58% than imprisoned men, 47%, have minor children. And that's between 1991 and 2016. And this is the latest year for which national data is available. The number of fathers in prison increased 48% and the number of mothers increased 96%. And so this is what this report about uh, is all about. It says it examines trends in parental incarceration, strains of families and missed opportunities, of course, for interventions as well as recent reforms. I have to say, uh, Dr. Ganoush, Dr. Nazgul Ganoush is our very special guest on the Hair Radio Morning Show. When I saw this, uh, and it's the very first thing that jumps out at you on this report uh, called Parents in Prison, I just, um, I'm blown away at these numbers. I'm blown away at this. The, the whole thing is just, I have to say, Dr. Ganoush, uh, I might have to give you the wheel here. To, this is very disturbing. This is disturbing. And it I seems think, yeah. to me, yeah, it almost feels like there is uh, some kind of, I mean, you don't want to think about, you know, subscribe to conspiracy type thinking and stuff, but it just seems like you, it, the, it seems like a systematic dismantling of the family. Mm-hmm. And when you pull out a peg, you know, or a leg to the table, it's going to pretty much lean over and pretty much fall over. And uh, that's what I kind of started to get from a lot of this. And it really, uh, you know, you really got to, when you're looking at some of this information, um, how do you not get so, how do you not get, you know, for lack of a better way to say it worked up, Dr. Yanush, this is, this is tough for me to see and read. So it's just, 
wow, I can't even imagine, you know, working in it, so to speak. But uh, mm-hmm. this is it's almost shocking to me. So are you surprised that on that level when you get so many, you know, the reaction like this, Dr. Kanush? Um, I I appreciate this reaction. I hope that that everyone reacts this way when learning about this information. And you know, and it is it's intense for me as well to think about. And the way that I'm able to, you know, the way my approach to it is, you know, this is heavy, depressing stuff. But also, I hope that by educating people about these issues, that more people will come to the table and do what's necessary to help fix this problem, right, to become part of the solution. And I see this education process as being part of the solution. So, you know, I think that is um, the, the, I try to present the information in a very balanced way so that people who are reading this that don't agree necessarily that mass incarceration is bad can look at these statistics and say, well, these are accurate points, but I don't necessarily see a problem, let's say, right? Because some people will say, well, these people did something wrong. They're not in prison for no reason, right? Um, Exactly. But the the point of this this research brief in combination with our other work at the Sentencing Project is to help people realize that, yes, many of these people did do something wrong. They broke a law. In, In some of these situations, the law that they broke is something that is driven by their substance use problem. So we're not effectively delivering solutions to them so that if they want to get drug treatment, they can get it right away, right? A lot, if they want to get mental health treatment, they can get it right away. Let's invest in those kinds of solutions so that we can minimize how often people are doing anything that even results in a discussion about whether or not they should be incarcerated. And then let's think about if we are incarcerating them, how long do we need to keep them there? And both of these questions of whether or not incarceration, what other policy response should we have, should really be informed by in the impact that incarceration has on this individual, but also the broader impact that it has on their families, including on their young children, um, on their, the seniors in their family that might rely on them, the elderly that might rely on them for care, and then more broadly on their communities. So let's take a more holistic approach and think about if there is an underlying problem, what is the correct response? What do we need to invest in? And oftentimes the answer is, I think, something other than incarceration to help keep the person accountable but give them the tools that they need to be successful. I uh, I have to say, yes, I, of course, 1,000%. It seems like we're, we're doing the exact opposite uh, with, you know, the way that we are handling these um, incarcerations, you know, the folks who are incarcerated. And uh, particularly, I wanted to ask you about uh, the, the, the women who are incarcerated. Now, what about, or even, you know, for anybody, really, but the, the contact that they have, like you said, the, the children are infect, uh, infected, affected uh, mm-hmm. by this. And so that's what I wanted to ask you about. I mean, to me, it's, it's almost, um, I can't even fathom my parents, uh, you know, thank God I've never had that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. But uh, to, to think about it, you know, kids in school, can you imagine I mean, they would tease you if you, you know, <laughs> if you wore a blue shirt or something. So can you imagine being a, a young child 
in school and through social media that didn't exist when I was a kid uh, and being, you know, possibly teased about that at the very least. I mean, there's, it's just so many ways you might not have food to eat to even when you go to school or good clothes because, you know, you only, you know, maybe just have one poor parent who can barely work and afford these things. It affects folks so much that I just can't believe that folks feel that it's okay to pretty much just lock them away and throw away the key type uh, is the right approach. And that's the way a lot of this seems. I do want to say that on your report, though, Dr. Kadoosh, um, it is incredibly balanced. I, I went through the whole report, and I absolutely um, it, I love how you guys put this together at the, sense, the sentencingproject.org because at the end you do, you give, uh, you definitely, you don't just leave us, you know, after kind of working us up, you, you give us some, some of the reform that's happening and some options. So I definitely want to say that. Now, um, if you guys are just tuning in, uh, you're listening to the All New Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hines. Now, my very special guest has joined us again after five years. I think it's been about five years. Yeah, we're talking to the one and only Dr. Nascal Ganoush from thesentencingproject.org, and uh, they've put together this incredible report called Parents in Prison, uh, along with so much other, so many other things that are out there. But uh, Dr. Ganoush, I want to welcome you again to the broadcast. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. Yes, it's really good to have you here. Uh, now, I also want to just take a moment to inform our fans of the show that uh, this incredible report, of course, it's available over at thesentencingproject.org, and we're going to put a version of it uh, on our website at hairadio.com for our members. Uh, so it's free to be a member, of course, so you can go there and read it. Uh, just go to Airradio.com. So uh, back to this, uh, this, this information, again, catches, uh, you know, when you read it, you're going to be a bit surprised. That's all I can say for me and uh, for folks who may think in that kind of vein. Um, but I want to talk about the other thing that kind of caught me off guard a little bit, uh, the, you know, the idea or notion that the women who enter uh, the prison system, if you will, um, you know, who are pregnant, um, right after they give birth, I think I read somewhere, that the children are, like, separated from them, like, within, I, I think, hours or something like that. Like, I, I just couldn't fathom that. And, you know, it was very surprising. It, to be honest with you, Ganusha, it reminded me of the slavery that, you know, the times that you see on television when they would depict slavery. Um, that's what that's exactly what came to my mind first. I know that's a bit different, but that's what entered my mind. So I have to I have to share that. So Dr. Kanush, can you tell us a little bit or speak to that about uh, you know the the women who um, have to deal with a lot of this in a very hard hard way that you wouldn't expect. You would expect folks to be a little bit more understanding. So that's what I guess I'm driving at. But uh, you know, so the the women who enter this, you know, the prison system who are pregnant and having to deal on so many different levels. But I do understand that there are states who are uh, who are trying to handle this in a different or more delicate 
or considerate fashion, I should say. Um, can you speak to any of that? Sure thing. Yeah. So, you know, I think that overall part of what really contributes to the tragedy of women's incarceration and the incarceration of pregnant women and other people is the fact that when women go into the criminal, into prisons, overwhelmingly they're going there because of a drug law violation. Men are more likely to go in there with a violent conviction and it's important to have reforms in that area as well, but especially when you think about sending people to prison for drug law offenses, I think that's the area where it's easiest to see we're causing a lot of harm with very little evidence of, um, you know, ending the drug war or scaling back the drug war by, by incarcerating people. And so for women who are incarcerated, the, you know, there, um, there's a possibility of them being pregnant. We know that roughly, you know, from the last year that we've seen data, 2016, 58,000 women were, in, were sentenced to jail and prison every year who were pregnant. And uh, when they give birth, often they'll be separated from the child. The child will go into custody of a family member. And if there's not a family member that can care for the child, then um, child goes into state custody. And you know, it's a really tragic situation because as, you know, as you said so poignantly, you know, and as especially I think as women can feel who have gone through the experience of having children right after you give a child, it's such an important, right after you give birth, it's such an important time to care for the child, to nurse the child. And these women are losing that opportunity, that important time to provide nourishment, love and care for their infants. And so there's just the beginning of reforms that we're seeing right now with respect to that. You know, so overall, we, we've seen that states have begun scaling back the drug war more than they have begun scaling back incarceration for other kinds of offenses. So that, of course, benefits women overall um, to the extent that, for example, California's law, Prop 47, Oklahoma's reform, Senate Question 780, these kinds of reforms that scale back incarceration for drug offenses disproportionately benefit women. But we've also seen some more specific reforms as well. So for example, in Oregon, there's a family sentencing alternative pilot program, which encourages consideration of community-based programs over incarceration for women overall. Hawaii has a similar program as well. There are a number of other states that are operating some similar programs to think about diverting women from incarceration. And then for pregnant women in particular, um, there was a proposed reform at the federal level. Um, and well, the First Step Act, which passed actually, prohibits the shackling of pregnant people um, when they're giving birth. Uh, and, you know, that's just unbelievable. You know, in some states, it's still women are still delivering babies while they're shackled. Um, and it's just, you and know, an atrocious Bush, thing. That green slavery yeah. to, yeah. <laughs> to people of yeah. color. How can it yeah. not? I mean, it's just yeah. un... Okay, I... Yeah, yeah. You've it's see incredibly this disturbing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it is. It is very disturbing, uh, Wow. But some of the states, as you pointed out, they're at least somewhat waking up. The other thing that caught me, and this is everybody uh, who are these folks who are incarcerated, who their families have relied on this uh, SNAP benefits and things like that, nutritional, you know, to get balanced diets and all of that. 
and to have it, uh, it seems to me so much politicized where mm-hmm. so much was, was being taken away and then certain folks are trying to work uh, towards, uh, you know, bringing it back to a big degree mm-hmm. for, you know, it's just, it's it's convoluted. So we're glad we got folks like you, Dr. Ganesh. <laughs> wow. To stay on top yes. of this. Thank you so much. And if I could just add a little bit more, I wanted to make sure your listeners know that there are also some specific reforms that have happened, like in Minnesota, um, to divert pregnant women from incarceration in particular and to authorize their early release. So if women are pregnant or postpartum. So there are models out there. We just need to have you know, have them scaled up and expanded to the rest of the country. And then, like you said, to make it possible for even for women when they're released from incarceration, or even if they were never incarcerated at all, but if they just have a felony conviction on their record, there is a big effort around the country to make sure that they can access cash assistance and food stamps and that their conviction, their felony drug conviction, doesn't bar them from accessing those benefits. Because one thing I just wanted to highlight for sure that readers understand, I mean, your listeners understand is that we've been talking about these issues generally, and you talked about slavery and how this echoes, um, you know, so many of the visuals and understanding that we have of that system. But of course, you know, this, this system of mass incarceration overwhelmingly impacts people of color. You know, a lot of children now, um, over 5 million children, have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives. But it's especially black children that have experienced this. And when we talk about limiting access to cash assistance to food stamps, it's overwhelmingly black children and Latinx children that are not able to have that kind of stability in their lives that come from those kinds of those kinds of uh, serv- government services as a result of their parents' conviction. Absolutely. And that's where, the, to me, the, you know, politicizing of these things, it really mm-hmm. takes its toll, to, to put it mildly. I have to say, uh, Dr. Kanush, what about the future? Um, before we let you go, what about the future? What do you say? Uh, those are some of the reforms that you um, – that you mentioned, um, where do we see ourselves going in a few years and and the way that you see this? Well, the work that we're doing at the Sentencing Project is to continue for calling for scaling back incarceration, um, not just for nonviolent offenses across the board, for thinking about, you know, why are we sending people to prison and for how long do we need to keep them there? to scale back the, what's, what are considered the collateral causes of incarceration so that people are not barred from employment and from government services once they have a felony conviction. So we're working on those kinds of issues, but also doing more to try to advocate for other solutions to the problems that mass incarceration is supposedly trying to fix, right? So like I mentioned yeah. earlier, we need access to health care, to mental health care, to substance use treatment, we need to make sure that we're funding those kinds of services at the level so that, you know, in, I know that especially in rural places, for example, in some places people say, well, we don't have a drug abuse, drug abuse program here, a drug treatment program, so there's nothing to do but to incarcerate women if they get in trouble with the law and they have a substance use problem. We need to make sure that that's not happening and that we have the mm-hmm. kind of, you know, first go-to solutions that are that promote community, that support healthy families. And so expanding access to health care, 
um, investing in housing, education, family services. These are the kinds of things that we are advocating for at the sentencing project instead of mass incarceration. Absolutely. Well, on that note, I just wanted to remind everybody, the report again is called, uh, titled Parents in Prison. And again, uh, our guest today, Dr. Nasco Ganoush from the sentencingproject.org. And you can read the entire report there. Um, I'm sure you'll feel pretty much like us, Elsa. Uh, so definitely check it out there. And also, uh, we'll, we'll have a version of this on our website for hairradio.com members. Again, Dr. Ganoush, uh, let's not do five years. We want you back again soon. Please come back and join us. You help to keep us on track in this community, uh, the Hair Radio Morning Show. We're all big fans of the sentencingproject.org. Thank you for all that you're doing. So I just want to thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I would love to be back again soon, and hopefully we'll be talking more about solutions and less about problems as time goes on. Absolutely. I love that. All right. Folks, keep it right here. We've got a whole lot more to get to this morning on the radio morning show. Stay with us. As women, it seems like we carry the weight of the world on our shoulders, and that weight is directly balanced between your two feet. And with this balancing act, who do you think is suffering? It's not the kids. It's your feet. While running errands, paying bills, or dodging traffic, you could be ruining your feet. Wearing the wrong shoes for the wrong period of time can cause more damage than you think. Hammer toe and bunions are the leading deformities in black women. And Dr. Yolanda Raglan is the first black and only female podiatrist with practices dedicated solely to the correction of these type of deformities. So let this black girl do some magic and fix your feet. For more information, visit FixYourFeet.com, providing medically necessary surgery with a cosmetic result. Ladies, do you love a man with a well-groomed and sexy beard? Men, do you suffer from patchiness or irritation and want a fuller beard? Well, let me introduce you to the hottest beard care products on the market. Rugged Evolution features 16 amazing balms, oils, shampoos, and accessories. Our products are sure to meet the demands of all your beard care needs. For more information, go to RuggedEvo.com. That's RuggedEvo.com. And remember, Rugged is the new smooth. 